0: Welcome to the show, here's my dad.
1: Infant Adoption Guide Podcast, episode number 31. Transracial Adoption with Rachel Garlinghouse. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Infant Adoption Guide Podcast. I am Tim Elder and this is the podcast all about domestic infant adoption. So glad you're here with me. This show is here to help you shorten the time, decrease the cost of your adoption journey, make it less stressful for you, and really, I'm here to give you hope and inspiration to reach the dream of becoming parents through adoption. You know, My wife and I first had that dream a few years ago, and we're still on our journey to build our family. I remember what it's like to wonder if you're ever going to be parents and wonder if you're ever going to reach your dream. This show is here to help you reach that dream, so I invite you to subscribe. Go over to iTunes or Stitcher Radio. And you can check out all my episodes and get the new ones automatically sent to you. If you uh, want to get that through my site, I can get you there uh, through the show notes on this episode at infantadoptionguide.com forward slash 31. And you can get right to iTunes and Stitcher from there. Okay, first, before we get into the interview today, which I am really excited about, as I am all my interviews I want to introduce to you a special project that I've been working on. It's called adoptionprofilevideo.com. And what it is is an online training that I'm building right now, creating. It has a bunch of videos and worksheets that you can download and print out. And it is a step-by-step way for you to create your own adoption profile video, you know, because I think they're so amazing. It's it's an amazing tool to reach out and connect better and faster with expectant parents You know, our kids, both of their birth parents just absolutely loved them. They watched them over and over again, and they found us through them. And I encourage you to go to adoptionprofilevideo.com, enter your email address, and I'm going to send you the five simple steps to make your profile video. And it'll just make you become familiar with what it takes to create your profile video. But you'll also be the first to know when the training becomes available, and you can go through it. And have no worries about how you're going to make your video or what tools do you need, or if you're nervous about being in front of the camera, I'll give you some tips on how to get past that. All that stuff's going to be included in the training. So I'm really excited to bring it to you. I think it's really going to be a game changer in the domestic infant adoption world because video is so much more prevalent than it's been in, the, in years past. And it's so easy to get to online, even on your phone, you can watch a video real quick. I mean, think about it. What, what's the fastest way that anybody could really read about you or hear about you? It's through video. So I'm excited to bring it to you as you could probably tell. All right. So today's episode is all about transracial adoption. And we have Rachel Garlinghouse here and she's a mom and a really gifted writer. She's so passionate about transracial adoption as her three children are uh, adopted of a different race than her and her, her husband. So she will open your eyes to what it's like to adopt a child from a different race. And we go through a ton of questions. We could have talked for a whole lot longer than we did on this interview. So I hope you really enjoy it. I know I did. Let's get right into the interview with Rachel Garlinghouse. Okay, everyone. I am so excited to have Rachel Garlinghouse on the show today. She is an author, a blogger, and most importantly, a mom. Rachel and her husband have adopted all three of their children from the U.S. and all three are open adoptions. And she says in her own words, she is crazy passionate about transracial adoption. She wrote a couple of books already. One is called Come Rain or Come Shine, White Parent's Guide to Adopting and Parenting Black Children. And she also wrote her first children's book just here in September of 2014 called Black Child or Black Girls Can, an Empowering Story of Yesterday's and Today's. Rachel's also been featured all over the place, but on MSNBC, on NPR, Huffington Post Live. Her work's been featured in Essence Magazine, Adoptive Families, and many other places, including an amazing guest post right here on the Infant Adoption Guide blog with her article called Five Things to Consider Before Adopting Transracially. So you can learn more about her family and her wonderful posts and writings on her blog called whitesugarbrownsugar.com. Welcome Rachel. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. I'm I'm looking forward to this uh I think you did a great job writing that that post and it really got me thinking a lot more about how we can help people uh really understand this whole transracial um adoption and how it works and and you've really have dove into it and dealt with it and still are living it, which is and you always live with, <laughs> live with that's not that's not the right way to say it you will always have that in your life you, you've been blessed with it that's really the better way to say it because your family is a transracial family and i think you um have done a great job of writing about it and explaining it and helping people with it so i really wanted to read your whole who i am page on your blog because it's so good uh I didn't, just didn't think I had time to to say it all. Plus, I thought anybody who listens to this should just go and read that first. It says a lot about you and your family and your writing style. So that was really cool. In fact, one of the phrases that, a couple of the phrases that really caught my attention. One, you said, uh, my kids have sass, class, and Jesus. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's so true. And the other one is about your husband. You said, my husband's Superman. He's a Tom Cruise lookalike. But I'm going more with Christian Bale, who's slightly less strange than Tom Cruise. <laughs> That's good stuff. Clearly, you were born to be a writer, and uh, you've done a great job with that.
0: Thanks. That means a lot coming from you. Thank you.
1: Well, I, I want to tell your story, I want you to tell the story of how you've adopted your three already. I know you probably could go on for an hour talking about how the, all that went because you've been through three, and but hopefully you can condense a little bit and just briefly tell the story about how you adopted your three.
0: Absolutely. Um, our adoption journey began in about, I believe it was March of 2006. I had been very, very sick for a year and a half, had been to multiple medical professionals and no one could figure out what was wrong with me. Um, so in March of 2006, I couldn't breathe. My husband took me to the emergency room and I got my answer. I have an autoimmune disease called type one diabetes. So I'm insulin dependent. I use an insulin pump, a continuous glucose her a, a testing meter and lots of other fun icky medical supplies. So um, third day into my diagnosis, a nurse practitioner came into my hospital room, started talking to us about um, counting carbohydrates and all sorts of diabetic fun things. and then she stopped because she knew I wasn't listening. I was very angry, I was emaciated. I was very, very ill. in fact, I almost died um, upon diagnosis so, she asked, do you want to have babies? And him and I perked up. I mean, yes, we wanted babies. We you know, wanted to be parents badly. And she said, well, you still can. And she went on to talk about diabetes and pregnancy. And I immediately knew we would adopt. I mean, it was the most clear thing God has ever put into my mind. And I just stopped listening to her. I was like, we're going to adopt. That's it. So mm-hmm. in 2008, our first daughter arrived. And then we began the paperwork again. Um, to adopt two years later, and we got the call on our first day of waiting. How does that happen? I don't know Um, that we had a baby girl, um, another baby girl. And then two years later, we decided to begin our paperwork again. And within two months, we were matched. Um, And now we have a little boy who's two. Um, And so now we have a six, four and two year old and life is chaotic and crazy and beautiful and sassy and classy with a mix of Jesus in there. (laughs)
1: That's great. Yes. And you mentioned to me before we even started the interview here that you're going for number four.
0: I think that we will adopt again. Yes. I don't know when that's going to happen or if anyone, you know, wants um, her child or his child with our crazy bunch. But my children um, have asked for another sibling. And so we'll see what happens.
1: You don't want to officially announce it here on the infant adoption guide podcast then. (laughs)
0: right hello everyone <laughs> <want> <laughs> grandparents family yeah but yes we I it's hard to um say no because my kids they really do just want another sibling and I feel like our family is not yet complete
1: awesome yes that's that's really cool I think you got to go with that but yeah absolutely that's something you can think about and pray about and and discuss with your husband and you know did, did your husband have you guys did you have any conflict or any were you not on the same page when you first started adoption or did that come into it at all I mean you sound like you're pretty decisive
0: right <laughs> um when I initially thought about adoption I didn't tell him immediately because I was like on my deathbed so you know we we're kind of dealing with other things <laughs> at that point but um, I said, hey, I think we're going to adopt. And he's like, what are you talking about? So we you know, talked a lot about it. For the first year of our wait, we were open to a Caucasian child only. Mm. Um, we didn't give traditional adoption a lot of thought. They gave us that dreaded checklist. You know what I'm talking about, Tim, that says you know, what you're open to, what you're not. <laughs> and so we just swiftly checked the boxes, not thinking too much about transracial adoption. And as we'd waited, I'm like, why are we not open to transracial adoption? You know, we live in the St. Louis area. We have great schools. We have a wide circle of friends. We have a supportive family. So we spent four months every night, four hours, literally discussing transracial adoption. And we opened our openness to all races. And then subsequently we were chosen for our daughter. Um, so no, we were not initially on the same page. And it was a tough decision, but it was a decision we took very seriously. We know that love is not enough in transracial adoption. And so we had to be prepared. We weren't willing to make a child an experiment. I mean, this, we had to be committed. And so we entered into it seriously and um, relentlessly and with um, a full commitment to what transracial adoption means.
1: Very cool. Is that kind of what led you to write your book? come rain or come shine. I mean, did you want a guide out there that wasn't there? Is that why you wrote the book?
0: Absolutely. I mean, there, there are transracial adoption books out there. I've read every single adoption book. I think that's ever been published. <laughs> um, but, A lot of them were textbooks in nature, which there is a place for that, but I knew as an adoptive parent, I needed a heart book and I needed someone to write a book that was like sitting down at the front and having a cup of coffee and talking about real fears and the realities of transracial adoption. I didn't need another statistic. I didn't need another, you know, discussion of an experiment or a case study. Like I needed something more conversational than that and more um, of something that I could immediately apply to our situation. So I looked and looked, and there wasn't a book. And I thought, there's got to be. And I'm a writer. And I knew I was born to write a book, but I never knew what that book would be until that moment. So when my son was born, the book came out. It was interesting. We would already been parenting three kids. And then the book um, the book came out a couple months after he was born. And it was hard to write and to put ourselves out there and to say, you know, here's a guide. And by no means is it the Bible of transracial adoption. I feature hundreds of resources in my book. I think that there are so many great writers out there. Um, but I wrote the book I did not have when we started.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I can see that. And I was looking through some of the Amazon reviews, which you have quite a few on there, which are all of them are amazing and I mean they say they're they're very helpful and insightful book and they'll refer to it again and again and one even said uh, we are gathering information on adoption I found this book to be inspirational encouraging and informative read we're open to adopting any race the more I read and learn the more excited I get thank you for laying it all out on the line I hope you continue to write about your journey by raising those kids that's what it's really about Uh, like you said it's a heart book and I think anybody that's looking at it in in any other way may may not get that but if you read it you know it's a heart book you you pour it all out there just like that reviewer said
0: yes absolutely i just i wanted to give people something that i didn't have i mean i read hundreds of books hundreds of articles hundreds of blogs i did research i guess that's why i went to grad school because i <laughs> learned how to research and just put i put so much into the book and it's not just about us and our experience this book is very 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 well researched and um So I don't have all the answers. I think that there will be new twists and turns in our parenting journey, but because it's so well-researched and I've reached out to other experts, I've been able to include that in my book. So I feel like not only was the book for other people, it was for myself and giving myself the tools that I needed to raise my children.
1: Very cool. Yeah. That's what, that's what we need is, is books like that. How, so maybe you can do us a favor. If everybody, anybody that's listening to this, uh, maybe you're considering transracial adoption. Maybe you are already adopted a child from another race. How do you become, how do you prepare yourself to become parents of a child of a different race?
0: Sure, absolutely. Well, I think the first question to ask, if you have not adopted transracially yet and you're considering it, in my book, I have a list. It's from pages like nine to 10 of why you maybe should not Adopt transracially. And that's a hard section to write because I'm so passionate about transracial adoption, but I'm also passionate about transracial adoption. And I need people to know that there are some circumstances that really aren't ideal. So I list those, um, which is definitely something I think we would have needed at that point that we didn't have. But other ways to prepare, I think, is. First and foremost, that makes a lot of white parents uncomfortable is that you have to have a wide circle of friends of different races and, specifically, friends who will racially match your child. Because those are the individuals who can help coach you and mentor you um, and talk to you about things that maybe you're doing well, things that you're not. And you need real relationships. Where I have a lot of adoptive families come to me and talk about their quote, one black friend. And I'm like, okay, you're one black friend. Like, how is that modeling? Um, Good friendships and relationships to your child. So you can't, you know, there was an interview on NPR once and someone said, You can't, your child can't be your first black friend. Like <laughs> <laughs> you need to start, like you need to go to grown-ups. You know, I need to go to adults and say something happened to my kid and I think it has racial undertones and I don't know how to respond. I don't need to go to a white person to ask that. I need to go to an individual who's been through something like that. So it's definitely having a big circle of friends. It's being humble. I just wrote an article called them how to eat humble pie without dropping the crumbs, which is basically you need the crumbs (laughs) in the whole pie. Like you, you need to be able to go to people and say, you know, I need help with my child's hair. I need help with this or that. And that was not easy for me as a type A person and as a person who gets things done and makes decisions. It wasn't easy to me to humble myself and go to others and ask for help, but I'm such a better parent because I made that choice. And then, of course, it's just about reading everything you can get your hands on about transracial adoption and race and, you know, filling your home with magazines like Essence magazine that talks about issues in the black community. Like, you need to be aware of those things. And there's just so much a parent can do. Another thing is definitely to make sure that you are living, working, playing in a diverse area because you don't want your child to be one of the few or the only child of color where you live. So, I mean, Tim, I could go on and on about it, but I did outline it all in the book. You know, a lot of things that you know people can do to prepare for transracial adoption.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and in, in the title of your book specifically says adopting and parenting black children, but I think you, like you were just saying, it can uh, and does work for uh, an Asian child or any. Basically, you're looking at it from a perspective of a child that's going to look different than you.
0: Right. Yes, absolutely. I think all my examples in the book are based on white parents of black children, but it can be applied to any transracial adoption pretty okay. much, you know, between any um, two or more races. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I love, on your blog, you have a page called My Adoption Philosophy. And on that page, I just want to read this quick quote because I, I, I want I want you to explain what you mean. You say, sure. I do not believe in entering into transracial adoption lightly. However, I am heartbroken at the lack of families willing to parent children of color. I pray my blog helps open hearts and minds. And then you go on to say that you believe adoption is complicated, intricate, evolving and bittersweet. Can you explain what you mean by those words?
0: Absolutely. Um, I think the bittersweet part, it really hit me when I had my first child, and I know you're a father by adoption as well, that when my daughter had turned nine months old, I was holding her and rocking her in the nursery. And it just hit me like a, to be cliche, ton of bricks that I had her the same amount of time her birth mother had her. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people want to discount that, you know, pregnancy experience or maybe discount the birth parents or stereotype them or whatever it is. But I thought, oh, my gosh. I mean, I cannot imagine losing my daughter after having her for nine months. And that's essentially what happened to her birth mother. She had our shared daughter for nine months and lost her. So the bittersweet part, and it's grown more and more apparent to me and every child is different as she gets older, is the fact that adoption's hard on kids and it's hard on some kids and not on others, but on some of my children, it's clearly difficult for them. And we can have all the tools in the world, but it doesn't change the bittersweet part of adoption. And then it's all complicated. There's no how-to guide on how to raise an adopted child. (laughs) There just isn't because, you know, as you're well aware, every situation is so different. So I think I'm honored to be my child's parent. I'm privileged, but I know, and I am always aware that their placement with me came at a tremendous cost to their birth family and still does. We have open adoption. So- I'm aware of some of the loss and grief that they still face. They didn't just place their kids and, you know, skip down the path in the sunshine throwing flowers. I mean, this is, you know, the reality of adoption can be very hard. So having that empathy with my children and their experience and with their birth parents has really changed my heart and made me step out of my comfort zone and realize that the whole idea of the adoption triad, you know, the adoptee, the birth parent, and the adoptive parent is a reality and always A reality. There's no cutting one of us out or off, no matter what the adoption looks like. We're the triangle exists. So, and as far as transracial adoption and not entering into it lightly, there are so many complexities and situations that our family faces that a family of the same race does not face. Um, And that's just questions and comments and stares and everywhere we go, it's very apparent that we adopted. So we walk in and then I have my kids and they're, you know, right now in their snow boots, you know, coming in loud and crazy and. <laughs> just, we're always looked at, you know, when we go somewhere, whether and that comment may be positive or negative, but the comments still happen. So we're, you know, under the spotlight quite a bit, which can be a challenge for our family. So yeah. there's just so much that goes into adoption, you know, it's yeah. a lot.
1: Yeah. And you, you, you're right. You have a little bit, a lot different uh, ways to have to handle that because not only do you per- have to prepare yourself for those comments, but then, as your kids get older, you have to prepare them for the kinds of comments that are coming at them. So, how do you do that?
0: I think by one, having friends of color that and friends that racially match my child. Um, my girls have a mentor, so I go to her a lot and we have these discussions. My daughter's hair braider, um, who is a friend of mine, we talk a lot about these. Um, but it's also, I've realized now more than ever that. My kids are always listening to me, so we have to start responding now appropriately to questions and comments because this is teaching my children as they grow up how to respond. So like last week, we were at a ball game and a woman walked up to us as we were trying to exit our, our row, and she got right in my face, um, probably a, a white woman, I think, in about her 60s, and she said, are all those kids from the same family? First thing she says to me. Wow. And I looked at her and I said, yes, we are in the same family, trying to redirect her. And I looked down and my girls are at either side of me looking up at me with their beautiful brown eyes. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, you need to help me right now. So I'm going to get mama <laughs> bear on this lady. I'm going to lose my religion and go, you know, just crazy on her. And so she looked at me and she didn't take my bait. And she said, um, she looked at me and said, no, are they from, in all caps from the same family. And I took a deep breath and I thought, okay, what comes out of my mouth next? I know my girls are listening. And I said, I don't think that's any of your business. And I took my girls by the hand and my husband and somewhere behind us and we left. And a lot of people, I guess, would say that's rude. But later I asked my girls, did you hear the conversation? My oldest said, no, what happened? She wasn't paying attention. My newly turned four-year-old said, that lady said, are they from the same family? And then she said it again. And you looked at her and you said, that is none of your business. And I thought, (laughs) okay, I taught her. So we had a conversation about how adults can use their size and their age and their authority to bully kids. And it does happen quite a bit in transracial families or families with special needs kids um, or even families with adopted kids of the same race. You know what can happen? And so I said, you have a right to privacy and you have a right to tell an inappropriate adult that they can't talk to you that way. And I was so proud of myself in the moment. Now I have no idea if I did the right thing or not, Tim. Like, I, I hope <laughs> I didn't like, just damage my children for life. But I feel like from listening to adult adoptees that I did do the right thing. So, you know, it's just things like that that happen out of the blue at a basketball game and airport bathroom. I mean, you just never know when someone's going to come up and <laughs> open their mouth.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, thanks for sharing that story, too. Th- those kinds of stories, I think, really help people get a grasp of what happens in re- the real world. You know, you can read a lot of books, but. What happens in the real world is, is people like you that are dealing with it and how do you handle it and what's the best way to handle it. So uh, I think that's great. And you mentioned your your support and it's important to have support around you. And I was reading that you are leading up or facilitating, I guess, uh, an adoption support group of like 200 women. Can you talk about that?
0: Sure. So um, we were attending a church at the time. We were first considering adoption, a small church of 250 people, but we had 10 adoptive families in the church, which was crazy. Wow. I thought, where's the support? So we started a little support group that met one month. And then I thought, you know what? I want to take this into the community. I don't want it to just be families who go to church or, you know, I want a diverse group of women. So we took it into the community. And as of today, we have 252 members in the St. Louis area of adopted moms, foster moms. We also have a few birth moms and several adult adoptees in our group. And the people who are interested in adoption. And it's just gone like wildfire to have a group of women with the wisdom and humor and experience. So that's great. Cause that's in line and on person. Also, my girls are getting a new mentor, um, this week and, um, she is an adoptee as well. So this has been just an incredible blessing. So I think putting ourselves out there is a risk sometimes, but I think that by doing so, we wouldn't have built this village of this support team without a willingness to go up to people and just slip them a card. I don't go up and say, Hey, I'm an adopted mom. And it looks like <laughs> you are too. We just hand them a card and I say, I run a local adoption or I run an, a local support group. I'd love for you to join us if you think it's a good fit. And I hand them the card and that's so that I don't embarrass their children. Maybe they're not an adoptive family. Um, <laughs> so. And all of our members do this. So we just keep adding more members. And it's been wonderful. I mean, I have moms who have been moms by adoption for 40 years in the group. And then I have people waiting for their first child. So it's it's just been wonderful. So I think, like, people just have – you just have to put yourself out there in a way that's respectful.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, having the support there and the mentors that you talk about sounds like incredibly important and re- really will help your you and your children as you uh, – continue down the parenting road Um, how do you talk about race and adoption as your child grows Um, I mean I'm sure you probably talk to them in different ways because each child's a little bit different but how have you done that so far
0: Um, one is by just using things that come up you know and maybe uh, something heard on the radio or you know and it's something in the news if it's age-appropriate Um, there's a lot going on with black history month right now, of course, even at their school. So we get to talk about that, but I did a lot of research for the book about what kids know at what age, basically about race and adoption. And so I kind of use that as my guide. Um, but because my kids are together all the time, it's kind of what the oldest one needs all the younger ones get. So (laughs) I think they're, you know, the oldest one wants to know my sister just had a baby, you know, how are, how are babies made and born, which of course ties into adoption. so now even my two year old son is knowing some things about birth and all of that, but that's fine. I think it's just an approach to being, um, open and empathetic. So some questions, yeah, kind of make us squirm or we're like, Oh, I don't know. Honestly, Tim, in a lot of the moments I just stop and I'm like, God, you got to help me right now. I don't have time to be like, I'm going to go in my room and pray for 20 minutes while I, (laughs) you know, light a candle. And you know, like some of the writers I hear do, I'm like, I, we don't like candles in our house anyway. That's ridiculous. So I'm like, we just, you know, I need an answer now, God. And I feel like he's provided that for me, um, when I've needed it the most. And, I think also just going to long term, if I have, you know, they have follow up questions and stuff, I can go to the girls mentor and ask them questions or some of my friends who racially match my kids. And it's really just a day by day. I don't know that anybody could read my book and be prepared for the next 18 or 20 years with their child, um, but they definitely have a great
1: start. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, you, You've mentioned your faith uh, in a little bit during this interview, and it sounds like it's been an important part of your your journey Um, Can you do you talk about that in the book, like the importance of having some faith and really leaning on that during your times that you really need the help that you need?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I do mention it throughout my book um, and it's also a huge part of my blog. You know, I talk about (laughs) Jesus doesn't love all adoption, adoption ethics and all sorts of things. But yes, I do talk about it. And it was really the start of my journey. God carried me through my journey. You know, not having a diagnosis was the worst time of my life. I don't remember that year and a half very well at all because I was so ill. Don't know that God necessarily told us to adopt, um, but I feel like the idea was approved by him, I guess. I think it was obviously our choice, but I can see his hand in it the entire time and even going forward. And well, as you all know, we have a, my friend Madeline Melcher and I have a new book coming out that's specifically about adoption and faith and how the two can be tied together. And this is not a book that's flowery and Jesus loves adoption go adopt. It's not like that at all. This is about the hard stuff that adoptive parents face. Um, And that book's getting ready to come out. So that's where Madeline and I both really put our faith journeys very strongly was in that book.
1: Yeah. I've seen uh, parts of that devotional already and I I can't wait for that to come out either because that's going to be a huge help for families out there that are either you're considering adoption or you're already in it just it's a it's a 52 is there 52 devotions correct yes and you guys each write some on on, about about adoption and different aspects of it and it's just incredible way to uh, get some perspective and write your own thoughts and help you figure out as you go and incorporating your faith in it. I think it's just, it's great. Can't wait for it to come out. I think you guys did a great job on it.
0: Thank you. We are very excited. It's called, the title is Encouragement for the Adoption and Parenting Journey. And the subtitle is 52... Devotions and a journal. So we have 52 devotions so that there's one per week um, because we know parents are busy and we know you're not going to be reading the Old Testament every night <laughs> for <laughs> hours. So, um, and the great yep. thing too about the book is that I, um, Madeline has three children by adoption. I have three children by adoption. And then Madeline is also an adoptee herself. So we have a couple different perspectives coming into the book. So well, Madeline and I definitely have different perspectives, but we're in agreement about one thing, and that's without our faith, I, I cannot imagine traveling this adoption journey without it. It's, you know, it's tried my heart. It's broken my heart in a million pieces and put it back together so many times. So we are thrilled about the book. Obviously, I can't shut up talking about it, Tim. So we need to move on before <laughs> no, I just no. like rant about the book.
1: <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about your upcoming project anyway. So this is this is good. Where can they? Where would people find that book when it does come out? And we don't have an official release date yet. Do you?
0: No, we don't, but we are hoping by the end of March or early April of this year, so it's in production, um, and it will be available on Amazon and then in a paperback form, and then a couple weeks after that, there will be a Kindle version available as well for anybody who likes to use an e-reader.
1: And you have a website for it?
0: We have a Facebook group for it, and it's just called Adoption Devotional.
1: Excellent. So they could just type that, like, Adoption Devotional book or something like that into Facebook, and you can find it. Or you can go through your Facebook page or Madeline's Facebook page and and find it as well. You, you guys are posting a lot about it and and uh, sharing some things. So I encourage everybody listening to this uh, to go to go find it because it definitely will help you. Okay, so one more thing I wanted to, to talk about was the racism part, and I know it's a big thing, and we probably could talk we probably should do a whole show on that. (laughs) But how have you, have you, you kind of mentioned it a little bit in your story there about the elderly lady that started talking about, but she didn't really, I don't know, she didn't outwardly talk about racism, you know, but that was kind of, I don't know, insinuated. Have you had any circumstances where you've had to deal with that racism thing or people are just really ignorant about it?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of families start thinking about racism because they're like thinking KKK, Jim Crow, slavery, Right. you know, racism evolves, but it's still racism. So a lot of the questions we get start from race and the situation can escalate into racism. So for example, I took my oldest daughter last year to have tonsil surgery. And so we were Um, registering her. And the woman asked me the general questions asked for ID um, and then said, I'm going to need your papers. And I said, papers, what are you talking about? I already gave you my ID and everything. She goes, your adoption papers. She's adopted, right? And I said, yes. And I said, we don't carry around her papers. She's five (laughs) days old. What are you talking about papers? And she's like, well, they're probably going to need those basically. And so meanwhile, there were other families registering next to us Same race families, where of course the paperwork was not demanded of them. Hmm. So they could have been an adoptive family. We can't tell based on someone's race, but it's kind of things like that where it's, you know, and like really you're asking me for that. And I just looked at her and I said, She's my daughter and we don't carry around papers, and her surgeon knows that she's our child. So I, you know, obviously that was very. Um, bothersome we are constantly asked to pretty much prove our authenticity as a family and then there's questions like are the kids real siblings we get that all the time Um, and I say yes we're real siblings and I'm their real mother and we're in a real family like (laughs) (laughs) and um and then one of the biggest forms of microaggressions that we get is my girls have really intricate um hairstyles cornrows with beads and all of that and um we get a lot of people trying to pet their hair oh Um, wow and of course strangers touching children is not appropriate. So my girls learn from a very young age, you tell adults and other kids, if they try, do not touch me. I don't like it. And that goes into all sorts of things, Tim. I mean, you got to teach your kids about that to avoid sexual abuse. And I mean, you know, that can just, so those are, these are microaggressions, I guess, that we face. And though one person may not label it racism. The motivation is based on race. So I don't know. I don't know how people define racism. Everybody's different, I guess. But we've had to kind of nip those things from the get-go so that the situations don't escalate. So it's things like that that happen. We've never outright been called a horrible name. Um, My kids haven't at this point. Um, So, But I know that day is coming. I know the day is coming when they will learn the N-word. I know the day is coming when I'm going to have to explain that to them. And so I'm just going to lean on friends who have been there to really guide me through those situations
1: very wise. Yes. Because if you just try to deal with it yourself, um, you know, you may or may not handle it the way you want to. So exactly. Yeah, that's great. And it's good that you're in a, you live in a diverse area. I think you you mentioned that earlier that uh, that has got to help you, I think a little bit if you're, if you're living in, I don't know, I, I can't think of a place, but a place right. that <laughs> has, yeah, a 98% Caucasians in it. That's going to be a little bit different than uh, a St. Louis area. So I think that's got to help you.
0: Sure, it does. And I think that we live in a university town that I worked at a university for eight years. So I'm very familiar with the student population. So that helped us find a mentor for our girls. Um, so it's, you know, those things have kind of helped. We also live very close to Ferguson, Missouri, which, as you know, has had a lot of issues for a long time. But um, it, things like this, like stories that we hear in the news have helped us talk to our children. Um It's just, you know, there's a lot going on with our country racially right now, a lot. And it makes transracial adoptive parenting even more challenging, but also race is being discussed more than ever, which can help transracial adoptive parents. So I don't know. There's never going to be a perfect scenario for us or a perfect, you know, book that encompasses everything we need to know. And that's why. Parents need a wide circle of friends. I mean, hands down, there's no substitute for just having a diverse group of friends.
1: Well said. Yeah. Thank you so much for for sharing that. And one more thing I wanted to ask you. If you had to pick, sure. and this may be hard to do, if you had to pick <laughs> if you had to pick one or two of the most important things for families to, to know about transracial adoption, what would it, what would that one or two things be?
0: It's a journey, not a destination. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's true. You don't adopt and move on. You need to be committed to this for the long haul because as your kids get older, they will face new forms of racism. They will face more challenging questions. Your family, you know, my cute little two year old baby son is um, going to be seen as an increasing threat by society the older he gets. And, you know, based on what he chooses to wear and how he talks and how he walks and even in a classroom setting. So we are preparing ourselves for that. Um, so it's a journey, it's not a destination. And the other thing is that um, I really think love is not enough, that, yes, all things start love, but you need resources, you need a village, and you need to purposefully seek those things out, not just sit back in your recliner and hope that everything lands in your lap magically. You really need to be proactive when it comes to transracial adoptive parenting. And it's not about perfection, it's just about progress and making steps in the right direction.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that families have you out there to write about this and explain things and especially your experiences and stories that really helps people uh, get a perspective. If, if they have not already adopted transracially, if they're considering it or if they already have, it's, it's also a huge help. So thank you for all that you do. I think you're helping a lot of adoptive families.
0: Thanks. And I really appreciate you having me on here and giving me an opportunity to talk about the one topic that I just can't shut up about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's that's great. I, thanks for coming on. And uh, maybe we need to have you and, and Madeline back on when your book gets released. We can dive into that and really um, explain that and offer that up for people because I think it'd be a, a great resource and a help for people as well.
0: Absolutely. Thank you.
1: Well, thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. All right. I hope you learned a lot of things as I did from Rachel on that interview. She did a great job explaining transracial adoption and just really sh- sharing her experiences with it. So I highly encourage you to go check out her books and articles. She's uh, blogging over at whitesugarbrownsugar.com. Um, she just you can hear in her voice how passionate is she is and willing to help. Um, I mean, just the fact that she facilitates a a large group of, of, of adoptive folks uh, touched by adoption um, and that, that just shares with you her heart for adoption and heart for helping other people. So go follow her on her blog and get her books, Um, follow her on Facebook and Twitter. I'll have all those links in the show notes. Just go to infantadoptionguide.com forward slash 31 and you can find all those links. So I had a blast talking to her, and I hope you enjoyed the interview. And uh, finally, I wanted to share with you uh, my gift to you. Uh, It's over at infantadoptionguide.com forward slash welcome. And there's four free adoption books there for you to help you on your journey. I put them together for you uh, to get you past some of the uh, complexities and overwhelm that come with domestic infant adoption. So I hope you get them. Just enter your email address there and we'll bring them right to you. So, thanks so much for listening. God bless. Thanks for listening to my dad.